This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Byrd. In an age where people are feeling increasingly disconnected from their government, neighborhood associations provide a fantastic opportunity to renew engagement and trust. In this episode, I sit down with Perrin Lance, Neighborhood Services and Development Manager for the City of Chattanooga, to find out more about neighborhood associations. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting the show, especially the Marks family and Stephen Culp. If you enjoyed the Chattanooga Civics podcast, newsletter, or Instagram feed, please consider supporting me on patreon.com slash chatcivics. So my name is Perrin Lance, and I'm the Neighborhood Services Manager uh, at the City of Chattanooga. Formal title is uh, the Office of Neighborhood Services and Development. And we are housed uh, under the Equity and Community Engagement Department with the city. So I did an interview with your predecessor a few, maybe about a year ago. We mm-hmm. explained a lot of what Neighborhood Services does. But if you could give me just a brief update on kind of all the different programs Neighborhood Services does. And then I want to spend the bulk of the interview talking about neighborhood associations. Yeah, that sounds fine. So um, what we do is, um, let me put it this way. So our vision, I want to start with our vision. Our vision is a city of healthy and thriving neighborhoods practicing local democracy. And the way that we came up with that is really hard to argue against. Um, Who doesn't want to be healthy? Who doesn't want to be thriving? Who doesn't want to not have a say in things that impact them? So we can all agree on it, right? It's just what does that look like? What does that mean? How do we accomplish that vision? Well, that's our mission. Our mission is very simple to empower Chattanooga's neighborhoods. Now, the how we do that is more technical. So I I like to talk about things in terms of like unit of analysis, right? So what does neighborhood services work with? Who do we work with? Do we work with constituents? Do we work with activist groups? Do we work with civic organizations? Very simple answer to this. We work with neighborhood associations. We work with neighborhood associations all across the city of Chattanooga to do the things that they want to do. Uh, and to have influence uh, in their community and to have self-direction. So how do we accomplish our mission? How do we work with the neighborhood associations? I do three verbs. We initiate neighborhood associations, we support neighborhood associations, and we connect neighborhood associations. Now, how we initiate neighborhood associations is oftentimes we're the first ones on the ground. Uh, So right now there are 71 neighborhood associations all across the city. There used to be upwards of 150, 130 back in the day. Uh, COVID and sort of the aging demographic uh, of those of those groups brought it down to about 52 last year. And we've been working really hard and we've brought it back up to 71. And our goal this fiscal year, uh, by June 30th of 2024, is to have that number brought back up to 100. But that means we have to get out in the neighborhood, uh, put boots on the ground, knock on doors, uh, do phone banking, do all the things that you would probably find in an election campaign. Uh, but for the purposes of driving recruitment to neighborhood associations. So we start organizations. And if there's anybody that's listening to this podcast uh, that wants to start a neighborhood association, we would love to work with you. Uh, You can just simply give me a call at 423-567-5389, or you can Google Neighborhood Services Chattanooga and go on our website to learn more. So once you get the neighborhood association started, what do you do? Well, that's support and connect. Those are the other two things that we do. 
We really want to work to support our neighborhood associations. We really want to give them access to the resources, access to the materials, access to the spaces, just access to everything that they need in order to accomplish their missions. And their missions are, are largely what you would think that they are. They want to uh, improve their neighborhoods and improve uh, the quality of life of their people. Uh, very simple, but uh, very admirable, and that's what we want to do. So how, how do we support neighborhood associations? Well, number one, we try to attend every meeting. So right now we have uh, we have a staff. Uh, there's five or six of us on any given day. Uh, sort of hard to count because we get interns. So there's me, uh, and there's Karen Clay. She's a neighborhood uh, relations specialist. She's been there for about 25 years. And she works with uh, three city council districts. And then there's the other relations specialist. There's Adriana Moore. She works with three of them. And then there is Sarah Barastecki. Uh, and she has just come on board. She will be working with two of, the two of the city council districts. And she will also be working at forming tenants associations uh, in some of the apartment complexes because we really care about the tenants. We can go into that more. Uh, and then we have a programmer, uh, a neighborhood programmer named Steve Lamb, and he sort of works with everybody uh, to create programs that helps. So uh, we go to all the meetings. We talk to all the neighborhood association presidents. If a neighborhood association president has an issue, uh, such as yourself, you're a neighborhood association president. We met recently, uh, Sarah, you and I, to discuss uh, the situation with St. Elmo. And you flagged several issues, uh, one of which is uh, a merchant's collective, the other which is concerns with the road and a traffic improvement study uh, and some uh, particular areas. I think you called them riparian areas mm -hmm. uh, that we're working to get answers on. So if a neighborhood association has a question or if they have an issue, they come to us and they say, hey, we need you to work on this. And the this can be very, very broad. It can range from quality of life issues to crime, blight, gentrification, lack of access to essential services, to social equity issues. Um, let's say you're a neighborhood association, um, but you don't really see the diverse the diversity in your neighborhood association attendance meetings that you know is in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We'll work with you to help balance that out, uh, to do outreach, to do engagement, to research strategies. Um, and we also uh, will do sort of the bread and butter of uh, neighborhood association work, which is uh, looking at uh, development, uh, patterns of development when it comes to rezoning, when it comes to permits, uh, making sure that neighborhood associations have a voice. And again, we also want to offer education and skills. Uh, we talk about uh, doing uh, leadership academies. We have neighborhood roundtables that happen every month uh, where you can come and hear uh, interesting information from uh, city services, city officials. And then finally, and this is the last piece, uh, is we work to connect neighborhood associations to each other. We think that there is a value in, in citizens of the city uh, coming to know more about each other and about their ways of life, uh, understanding the differences, understanding the similarities. I think uh, building a mutual understanding of each other is a win-win for everybody. Um, so we have this program uh, called Walk and Talks. It's sort of where we get the neighborhood together uh, and we bring all the city officials, public works, police, fire, this and that. And we walk the neighborhood and we point out, okay, well, we need work on this, we need work on that. I would love it if the neighborhood associations would host Walk and Talks with other neighborhood associations across the city. So what if St. Elmo went to Glass Farm? 
went to North Chat, went to all these other places and just sort of understood the differences and the similarities and asked why. Um, but we're working on that piece. We're working on programs for that connection piece. But by and large, uh, those are the things we're doing. Uh, we're very busy. And uh, hey, I love this gig. It's fantastic. That's awesome. That was a really great overview. Yep. And uh, I want to kind of take that and just pull it apart bit by bit and really dive into some of the details. Let's do it. I want to start just with a very basic question. What is a neighborhood association? Mm -hmm. How is it different or the same as a homeowners association? And why should neighbors try and form these associations? Great question. So a neighborhood association is a voluntary organization of people who represent a geographic area. Um, I could pick out my map and I could draw a circle or a square around my block and I could say, hey, this is the neighborhood association. So it's a, uh, it's a voluntary organization of people who represent a geography, usually like a neighborhood, usually like a block, and you seek to improve that area. You seek to protect that area. You seek to improve the quality of life of people in there. It's as simple as that. Do you have to be a nonprofit? No. Do you have to file your articles of incorporation with the state of Tennessee? No. Do you have to have Robert's Rules of Order governing all of your meetings? No, you don't have to do that. Uh, are there commonalities between neighborhood associations? Absolutely. Most neighborhood associations have presidents, vice presidents, secretaries. They have officers. They uh, run according to standard Robert's Rules of Order. Uh, they have minutes. They have new business and old business. That, that sort of deal people are familiar with. Um, but they're voluntary organizations. You don't have to be a part of them. They can't force anybody to do anything. They're not like homeowners associations. The key difference in a neighborhood association and a homeowners association is that voluntary part. Um, so let's say I go to Hurricane Creek. Uh, Hurricane Creek is an HOA that it actually borders uh, the state the state boundary, I believe, into Georgia and Tennessee. So it's over there out in East Brainerd, District 4, Councilman Ledford. They have an HOA. Now, when you buy a house in Hurricane Creek or any of the other ones, Columbine, they've got a great group. Um, Georgetown Trace, they got a great group. You go and you buy and you say, okay, it's part of an HOA. I want to live in an HOA. I want to uh, subject myself to the restrictive covenants and the deeds and that sort of thing that says you got to have your grass cut to this. You, you can't build something that looks like this. People are opting in to those kinds of things. A neighborhood association is not the same thing as a, excuse me, an, a, an HOA is not the same thing as a neighborhood association. But, and we do encourage this, an HOA can register as a neighborhood association. And in fact, if any of your listeners are members of HOAs right now and you're not registered with us, I'd highly encourage you uh, to register your HOA with us. Get your officers to get in contact with us. So, no. So, like, a neighborhood association can't control when and where and how you mow your grass. Uh, that's an HOA. That's, so it's totally different things. Um, and then what, what were some of the other parts of the question? So why should communities form neighborhood associations? Great. And why would a yeah. homeowners association want to also register as a neighborhood association? Let me ask, uh, let me answer the first part of that question. So why would you want to form a neighborhood association? There are things that are happening all the time that directly impact you, uh, that directly impact uh, the fortunes of your household. 
Uh, it can be a pattern of development. It can be crime. It can be the city wants to put a road right next to your neighborhood. It can be um, lack of essential services. It can be the fact that your neighborhood doesn't have a grocery store. Well, when you go to city council or whenever you go to any particular policymaker and you say, hey, I am against this rezoning. I, I am against this development. I think it's going to gentrify the neighborhood. This is terrible. Um, they're going to ask you or they're going to ask themselves, does this guy represent an organized group of people? And if you don't, chances are most likely they're not going to pay as much attention to you versus if you go to the city council and you have a formal resolution and a petition signed by and voted on by your neighborhood association and you bring 15 of your people and you all stand up at the right moment when you're addressing the council, that's power. So really, this goes down to community organizing. I'm a community organizer by trade. Um, uh, long time ago, fun stuff. Uh, people speaking collectively, institutionally, uh, uh, engaging in that manner. That's why you want a neighborhood association. A neighborhood association, people speaking together, people power, uh, will accomplish many things that you can't do alone. And just to speak very practically with it, right? You know, the city council, they're not, they're not, any legislator is not purposely trying to ignore an individual that comes up. But you have to think about it. They're people too. And they have schedules and they have timelines and they have lives. And at the end of the day, when they go home and they check their emails or they check their text messages uh, and they see, oh, here's an email from Joe Smith. Well, that's one vote. Oh, here's an email from the president of the neighborhood association. That's 400 houses. Which one are they going to click? You know the answer mm -hmm. to that. That's why people should join a neighborhood association and they should form one. And then why should an HOA form an association? Uh, we really want the HOAs to get on the map with the city because there are so many services and so many opportunities and so many ways to have influence on policy, have influence on the things that impact you. But if you're not registered with us, um, we really don't know that you're out there. So HOAs, uh, just like neighborhood associations, they have their own concerns for, okay, uh, houses are being built this way. Uh, we want these kinds of businesses. These kinds of things are impacting us. But if they aren't registered with us, uh, do the people at RPA or planning or land development office, we don't know about them unless you can get on our radar. Mm -hmm. So if you're not registered, we really encourage you to do so on our website. So what are some of those services that your department provides to neighborhood associations in terms of you know, providing support on a particular policy mm -hmm. or maybe in an event. You know, just walk me through some of the examples. Okay, a for example, uh, let's see. Today, so we have had uh, several complaints in a neighborhood about tons of uh, city code violations being issued. And this happens um, sometimes. Uh, I'm, I'm sure your listeners are aware of the 311 app. They can go on 311. Uh, they can report missed trash, bulk trash, things like that. Uh, and they can report code violations or things they think they believe are code violations. So at the neighborhood meeting the other day ago, uh, there was a conversation. Hey, we're seeing a lot of these code violations. People can't necessarily afford to do these repairs. What's going on? Well, we work with them to figure out what's going on. 
Um, and I was actually just speaking with the neighborhood relations specialist today to try to figure out, okay, uh, is there some sort of pattern here? Is codes enforcement, are they doing a systematic inspection? Can we ask them to hold off? Can we ask them, are these being uh, originated from a particular source? So we basically will work with the neighborhood associations to get the answers uh, that they need to these sorts of questions. And we will also advocate for their position as well. So if a neighborhood association, if, uh, if the city wants to build a road by them and they don't want that road, well... Sometimes the city will work at cross purposes with each other, and this would, can be a case of it. All governments do it. Our position will always be, hey, guys, this is what the Neighborhood Association wants. You need to be aware of it. Can we make any changes? Now, sometimes it won't end up going the neighborhood's way, but we will always advocate for the Neighborhood Association because mm -hmm. that's just our job. It's Neighborhood Services. Um, we really call this the Neighborhood Advocacy Service. Uh, we have a, a shared Google spreadsheet in our offices. We have an issue tracker. We have up to like 55, 56 different categories of what an issue could be. Um, and I mean, I could just sit here reading them off to you. We got everything going on from uh, uh, blighted properties to retention ponds that are turning into mud. Uh, and I, I, all of these things need answers. And so we... We work on these kinds of issues. Great. Um, I don't know if I answered all of your question. I mean, there's just so much that I could, I could go back in my head and, yeah. and think about. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, like you said, the list is really long. I sent you a list. Like you said, I'm the president of the Community Association of Historic St. Elmo. Yeah. Huge mouthful. We just call it CASE. Yeah. Um, but I sent you the other day a list of, I don't know, 20 or 30 different things that we're working on. Um, everything from events that we're trying to plan to properties that we're, we're trying to figure out how our historic zoning regulations might better serve our neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, how we can get more involved with our local businesses. Mm -hmm. I mean, this whole long list and, and you've already helped. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago and you've already helped on, you know, a handful of them and still working on the rest. And it's, it's been really helpful. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, that actually reminds me of several of the other items that I wanted to uh, touch on. So um, for a group that is organizing out in North Chattanooga, they wanted to rent uh, river, I think it's Rivermont Riverview park. And they can do that for free uh, if they register with neighborhood services and neighborhood services makes the registration for them under our name. So if you're a neighborhood association, you can reserve some of the parks potentially for free if you just ask us. Um, other issues that we work on, uh, like you had said, there is some interest in forming a uh, merchants collective or a merchants association. You know, that's another voluntary organization. And we would look heavily into uh, researching that as well. There are several other uh, neighborhood associations some out uh, in the Rossville area that could be potentially interested in forming merchants collectives mm -hmm. as well. Are there any of those existing currently or is that you know, an idea that's floating around? They're not registered with our office. Our office has never done it, mm -hmm. but it's something that we could do. It could be more chamber territory um, that we don't necessarily want to step on, mm -hmm. but uh, it's something interesting and we're doing more research on it as well. That also leads me to uh, bring another point in that I didn't mention about was about the tenants associations. Mm -hmm. So 
Oftentimes, people have asked, do you have to be a homeowner to be a member of a neighborhood association? And the answer is no. Now, historically, have renters and tenants been very welcome or even engaged in neighborhood associations? Not likely. Um, I think neighborhood association and civic activity, unfortunately, uh, the barrier is quite high. Uh, we want to do what we can to lower it. But in some sense, it, it does select out for people who have more material advantages and who have home ownership and, and that kind of stuff going on. But that isn't to say that renters need representation. They absolutely do. Um, I'm pretty sure that your, uh, your listeners are aware of the statistics when it comes to rent, about how many renters are considered, are considered uh, income burdened. Uh, in this area, how many are getting evicted, how many are just getting completely taken over by these hedge funds and equity firms that are coming in, taking over their apartment complexes, jacking up the rent. Well, our office is going to be working on developing a model of tenant organizing and uh, implementing that this year. And we want to get at least 10 tenants councils formed that will be like neighborhood associations, but for apartment complexes. Um Will we target like the high-end apartments? No, uh, uh, they can absolutely form one, but we're definitely looking at areas where uh, renters are hurting and uh, it's an apartment that could be bought out, say, by a big hedge fund or some investor and everybody's evicted and they jack up the rents. So that's an area that we're also looking at too right now. That's interesting. So what are some of the tools that are available to those tenants associations to kind of stake their claim, make their home where they've chosen to live and, you know, live their lives? Well, what we're doing is we're working on, uh, I've, I've assigned Sarah Baristecki, one of my new hires to come up with that toolbox. So I don't have it right now. Um, but I mean, anybody can go on the internet, anybody can Google, they can take a look at these things. They can take a look at all of the different toolboxes and resources that are available. There's a great agency right now in Chattanooga called Legal Aid of East Tennessee. Legal Aid of East Tennessee is a fantastic organization. They do tons and tons of uh, tenant education, renters' rights information. They even have some attorneys on staff that will represent tenants. Um, but oftentimes, the situation with working with tenants is the tenant has to go to them. Well, what we want to do is bring that stuff to the people mm -hmm. by giving them uh, the organizing capability to disseminate that information out to each other. So what a tenant organization could do is say, okay, well, here's Legal Aid of East Tennessee. They have an office downtown. They have a website. But what good is it if you know 95 out of the 100 uh, households in this development do not know that information? Mm -hmm. Well, as the tenant association president, I can take that toolbox and I can have a meeting with my fellow tenants and we can educate each other on what our rights are. Uh, and have each other's backs. That's sort of the way that I see this thing going. Right. So what are some of the tools that y'all have, both for the tenants associations and the neighborhood associations? Uh, you mentioned maybe not seeing the diversity that these organizations know is in their neighborhood, not seeing the turnout and the interest. What are some of the tools available to kind of raise interest, raise awareness about the power and effectiveness of these mm -hmm. associations? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, I've been in the office since January, 
And one of the goals that we have for the upcoming year is to develop a neighborhood toolkit that will have a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, uh, directly answering that question, you know, we what we do is a lot of hands-on work with folks. Um, and so if I was to say, like, what is a particular tool, you know, I don't really know exactly how to answer that question yet. But what, what we are working on is building that repository, building that tool set. So let's say, for instance, if somebody did come up to us and they said, hey, I don't think uh, enough people are engaging in the Neighborhood Association, then what we want to do really is sit down with that Neighborhood Association president uh, and ask the question why. Go through them. Go through the problem-solving process. So I, I like to think that Neighborhood Services offers services more so as opposed to like tools and widgets and things like that. Um, we, we do things, and, and we do a lot of one-on-one communication with the presidents in order to answer these questions. Um, development of a toolkit, absolute high priority. We are working on it this year. Uh, we hope to have something developed very soon. Um, but mostly it's sitting down with those presidents and helping them come up with the ideas to get more community engagement. I'll give you a for example. There's a neighborhood association that uh, is asking for help in getting more community engagement going. Uh, and we have said, okay, Um, have you considered the fact that if you meet on this particular day at this particular time, maybe people don't want to meet at that time. And so the president eventually got around to the idea of, yeah, hey, that that actually might be a good idea to change that. So they're going to have a meeting and they're going to have a vote on it to get it to potentially a better time, more in line with the other neighborhood associations so that they could get more turnout. Um, in the future, I would like to do more digital engagement with the neighborhood associations, helping them build their own toolkits uh, and ways to reach out to their neighborhoods. Because one of the things I don't want to do, like people all the time say, why don't you do robocalls for us? Why don't you do texts for us? You know, that's great. We could work on that. Um, it might be the right thing to do. But one of the things that I don't want to do is get neighborhood associations dependent on neighborhood services and dependent on the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, A key thing I forgot to mention in uh, the description of the neighborhood associations is that they are independent uh, of the city. We can't form them. We can't stop them. We can't delete them. We can recognize them uh, or not. Uh, Generally, the rules are if you register with us, we recognize you. Uh, We don't even have rules for neighborhood associations if they overlap. We might recognize oh, wow. both. We'll have to we'll have to work on that, but nobody has given me that problem yet. But all that is to say, um, so let's say we start sending out text messages. Yeah, sure. You know, we could find a program and we could front the cost for it. We can do text messages for everybody, and then we could do a bunch of turnout. Okay, what happens when the next mayor decides, hey, let's not do that anymore? Okay, well now you were dependent upon us getting the word out, and now we don't have the budget for it. What we would rather do is work with the leaders on the ground mm-hmm. uh, to develop their own toolkits, to develop their own strategies for doing that. Because I, I, I tell you, uh, the reason why I'm so interested in this job is that we are working with independent entities that can sometimes be opposed to what the city wants to do. 
Um, and, and I think that's valuable. That's, you know, if you're even thinking about it in terms of customer service and we're doing customers, we're doing customer service support here. Like the people are the customers. I mean, I think it's a really, you know, basic way to think about it. I think the people are the stakeholders in the government they're the citizens, but, uh, you know, customers, right. I support, I support the neighborhoods. Uh, we want the neighborhoods to be independent. So. Maybe that's a roundabout way of answering your question. No, that was great. And it, it leads me to another question. Um, we talked about how these neighborhood associations are organized, especially since they are independent. And you said towards the beginning, there can be kind of any level of formality mm-hmm. available. And so I was hoping you could walk me through some of the things you've seen in terms of levels of formality of different neighborhood associations that exist and the pros and cons of, say, registering as a 501c4 organization or a 501c3 or some other structure. Mm-hmm. Um, how common is that? What kind of structures have you seen and what are the pros and cons that you've seen to doing that? Great question. So <clears throat> let me hit it at this way. There are 71 neighborhood associations. Every one of them would be, say, a Robert's Rules uh type organization. So they're a, they're a hierarchical organization, a voluntary. They have presidents, they have officers, they have bylaws. Um, and if you're going to organize yourself in that way, that's fine. That's great. Um, we do encourage the formation of bylaws. Uh, so you get some sort of roadmap mm-hmm. written in paper for your rules, how you will engage, how your officers will be elected, what your boundaries are, what the officers will do, what a quorum is. Most neighborhood associations have these things. Now, as to the degree of formalization, listen, a neighborhood association can be a very informal thing. We want civic engagement to be very low barrier. We don't want it to be zero barrier. You have to have some skin in the game, but, but there needs to be very low barrier. If you have a neighborhood that doesn't have a neighborhood association, and if you want to form one, it's as easy as getting perhaps a, getting perhaps a flyer together. You want to have a meeting at your house. We actually just had one of these over in Riverview the other day ago. Uh, a very, very wonderful lady got together. She had uh, wine, cheese, and crackers at her house. We sat down at this very long, luxurious table. And she brought several of her neighbors together to listen to me and uh, it was Sarah at that time to talk about the pros and cons. Well, really, I don't think there's any cons to the advantages of forming a neighborhood association. They just had several questions. And then if you want to form an association, you form an association. Um, we encourage you to form it in a way that is valid, uh, that people would recognize as accurately and truthfully representing the neighborhood. So... You know, you could just say, okay, here's me and my four friends here. We're the Neighborhood Association. We're going to register with the city. I, I, I would hope you don't do that. What I would hope you do is you develop a systematic plan to canvas your neighborhood, to contact as many of the stakeholders as possible. So homeowners, tenants, property owners, businesses, institutions, churches, invite them to a meeting, have some sort of mass meeting, mm-hmm. um, issue, explain what you're doing. Maybe bring your city council person into the equation. They would love to get involved. Um, bring us into the equation. We would love to be on the ground floor. Have a mass meeting. Get some volunteers for a committee. Get you a committee. Start working on bylaws. Start working on boundaries. Start working at the purpose and the vision and the mission of the organization. 
and then maybe have a nominating committee to seek out uh, nominations for officers. And then boom, next thing you know it, you elect some officers and you, you um, have a vote on bylaws and then you've formed the neighborhood association. That's been the standard model. I would say it could take anywhere from up to three to six months uh, sometimes if you're going purposeful about it. You don't want to wait too long because you'll lose momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to you really get it. But you want to do it in a way that accurately represents the neighborhood. Because the way that your neighbors and city officials will look at it is like, okay, well, this neighborhood association, is it really just this one person? Or do they actually have the backing of their neighborhood? And if you can show that you have the backing of your neighborhood, then you're going to speak with more power. You will have more power. Now, um, you know, since it is the 21st century, since it is a, it's a new era, are there different ways of having neighborhood associations, maybe that are less hierarchical, that have flatter structures? What, what can be done with this? Uh, yes, I'd be highly interested in taking a look at this. Um, back when I was an organizer with Chattanooga Organized for Action, uh, we would work uh, via a process called uh, consensus decision-making. I think it was invented by the Quakers. And it's a way to, in, in different kinds of flatter meeting facilitation, um, I think it would be very interesting to see uh, organizations develop that didn't necessarily have the president and the vice president, but maybe had a rotating facilitator or something like that. But, you know, we're not there yet as an office. Uh, we are researching these things and uh, what other neighborhoods are doing across the city. And I'd love to come back and report more about what we find out. So is there any more to your question? I might have forgotten. Um, I was wondering about the pros and cons of registering as a 501 organization. Great, great question. So if you've seen that in different associations around the city and how that has helped or hurt their their efforts. So the advantage to registering as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Let's take a step back for your listeners. Um, a 501c3 is a tax designation status issued by the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, and it basically it's every church that you know of um, or something like that. Charities, so on and so forth, are uh, 501c3s. Contributions to them are considered tax deductible. Hey, I want to write something off on my taxes as opposed to pay taxes to Uncle Sam. That's a great, that's a great benefit. So uh, all of those contributions that a person might make to their church or to a scientific organization or a charitable organization, say like uh, uh, the Chat Foundation, uh, that's tax deductible. And so if a nonprofit association can register as a 501c3, then uh, there is a high advantage to donating to that organization. Now, I have seen or heard about some organizations registering as a 501c4. I believe your organization is registered as a 501c4 or was in the past. Mm -hmm. I know of another organization out there that also has C4 status. C4 is considered a civic organization, and I'm a little unclear on why that is. Um, and I need to get more information on this because the distinction is that the, uh, the, the uh, donations are not tax deductible. So it's sort of a, sort of a downer for the neighborhood and, association. 
And in I'm some grants off the cuff here. Yeah. Uh, 501c4s, as far as I'm aware, can still take in money. They can still spend money and that is all tax free. Uh, you know, the, the organization itself doesn't pay taxes, but they can't accept a donation of, you know, somebody donates $10,000 and they get to write it off their taxes. That exactly. doesn't happen for a C4. And the, the difference, as far as I'm aware, and I'm speaking very off the cuff here, is that C4s have more leeway when it comes to uh, either hosting political events, uh, endorsing candidates, or the big one, and the reason Case is, is currently a C4 is uh, you know, lobbying for policy. So if mm -hmm. we were to go to city government and say, hey, we don't agree with this zoning code or this ordinance or what have you, some ordinance that the city council is voting on, we could go up as a neighborhood organization and say this neighborhood association does not or does support this new law. Uh, and that's something that's kind of fuzzy on whether or not a C3 is supposed to be doing that or not. That's my understanding. Again, very off the cuff. And, and I'll go off the cuff, and this is not legal advice, uh, but when I did, some of your people that are listening to this have a little bit of history, and they'll know what Chattanooga Organized was. Chattanooga Organized for Action was. Uh, I wrote that 501c3, and I got it through the IRS. Um, and we did, all we did was advocacy. That's all we did. We were at the city council every Tuesday, advocating, advocating, advocating. Never got in trouble, never heard a thing. Um, as far as I am aware, nonprofit C3s, and people need to fact check me on this, I think they are, they are, I definitely know they are allowed a degree of lobbying and grassroots lobbying, especially if it is mission, if, if it is focused on its mission, mm -hmm. right? So if, if a legislative body wants to do a thing that impacts its mission, uh, say like, you know, like a, a children's home and legislators uh, had some sort of policy that would impact uh, adoptions or fostering. They could go lobby the hell. Uh, pardon me. Uh, they, they, they could go lobby uh, to the greatest extent that uh, that they wanted to because it's directly mission impacted. But I mean, these are sort of factual questions that you, we just had to get more information on and talk to some attorneys. Yeah. But, standard disclaimer. Neither of us are attorneys and, uh, we're we're both kind of working through this in in real time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I do want to get solid answers on these, and yeah. I hope to have more soon. Yeah, that would be great. Um, let's back up a little bit and just talk. Forget the C four C three designation and just talk about you know, have you seen benefits? How what creative ways have you seen neighborhood associations use that five hundred one status? So I have seen some very creative things. Um, perhaps the most creative thing was out in Avondale. So. What Avondale did, and their president's Ken Smith, he can talk about more. He can talk more about this uh, if you have him on. They got their status, and they got with they either got with the city or they went on the Hamilton County GIS website. They drew a map of the boundary of their association. They got all the parcel data in an Excel file. They went through systematically and identified the vacant or abandoned lots, wrote letters to all the owners asking them, hey, uh, would you mind either developing this property or just giving it to us? And they got them to donate parcels to the wow. neighborhood association. Um, that's pretty tremendous. And so they, uh, 
for their purposes, uh, they bought and sold parcels uh, for funding for operational funds. Um, but once you have that C4 status, I mean, my goodness, if you got a hold of some land, what couldn't you do? Um, potentially form a community land trust or a community garden or do affordable housing and just do whatever you want to do. Uh, but I thought that was one of the more clever uh, ways to approach uh, both getting funding, operational funding, which is always a major concern of the neighborhood associations, and addressing blight. Um, so they were actually able to uh, hopefully uh, instigate the property owners into either doing something with the property or getting into the hands of somebody that would. So that is one of the most incredible things. And then, you know, having your standard fundraisers and things like that. Um, applying for grants. Many neighborhood associations apply for grants. Our office, in fact, is going to have a grant this year. Uh, we're going to, it's about $25,000. I hope next year it's going to be more. Uh, but it will encourage applicants to uh, registered neighborhood associations to apply to our office for projects that boost equity or community engagement in your neighborhood. Now, for that, you don't have to have a 501c status uh, will act as a fiscal sponsor. But if you have that status, then you can go out and, uh, and apply to the billion plus non, uh, foundations that are out here and other nonprofits that give out grants. Uh, you can apply to them as well. I know that uh, the Realtors Association had a placemaking grant recently. I know that various the several of the various local uh, foundations uh, used to have community grants. I know that there is the UN Foundation. Um, I, I still think that that's going on. Uh, there's the Community Foundation. There's there's all kinds of corporate sponsors out there. You know, Coca Cola, mm -hmm. our, uh, Moon Pies, or whatever is local here. You know, you could you can start to accumulate all that sort of stuff and just build and build and build. So that, those are some things I've seen. Awesome. Well, I want to end by talking about the nuts and bolts of how you form a neighborhood association or how you, let's start with how you find one. If there's one already existing, that's okay. an easier question to answer. Great questions. By the time that this podcast is uploaded and available for folks to listen, we should have on the neighborhood services website at chattanooga.gov. So go chattanooga.gov, go to departments it should still be under community development, even though we're under equity and community engagement. But wherever we are on there, you can just Google Neighborhood Services Chattanooga. Uh, we should, uh, in the next few days, have a map on there uh, that has a search by address function. So it'll be a map of Chattanooga. Uh, it'll be a Google My Maps. Uh, one of my staff persons have been working on it for a couple of weeks. And it'll have a map of all the neighborhood associations in the city of Chattanooga. Uh, and you'll be able to put uh, your address, you know, 123 Easy Street. Oh, I'm a part of Ridgedale Neighborhood Association. They meet at this time. This is their president. That will be the way moving forward that people learn about their neighborhood associations. Mm -hmm. uh, they used to have that map up there. It went away. I don't know why. Um, but we're bringing it back. Uh, and it will be there to stay. Uh, other ways that you can find out about your neighborhood association. We have the list of registered neighborhood associations available on our website for anybody to download. We keep it up to date. And then also, uh, I would say, look around you. Um, oftentimes throughout the city, you'll see those sign toppers. Uh, I know that they're very popular in Highland Park. They're very popular in St. Elmo. Very popular uh, Orchard Knob. You'll see them, and that's a neighborhood association. 
Okay, now go on the city website, uh, look at uh, the registry of the neighborhood associations, find your president, find the meeting time. I would encourage you to contact your president first before you go to the meeting so you can just learn about things that are going on, get a welcome, get an invitation, not necessarily an invitation, they're open to the public. Just get a sense of understanding what's going on and to make sure that the meeting is happening that month because sometimes, Mm -hmm. uh, even though a neighborhood association has a regularly scheduled meeting, Many of them will take off July because it's vacations, and many of them will take off December because it's Christmas. So in general, that's how you find out about neighborhood associations. Now, how to form one, we've gone over uh, just recently here, but you know, really it's, it, it starts with working with your neighbors uh, to form a group that is interested in, in representing the geography, representing your neighborhood. Um, if you're interested in forming a neighborhood association, uh, go to go to our website or give me a call, 423-567-5389, and we would love to work with you. Awesome. Well, is there any uh, other way to get in touch with you, Facebook, Instagram, any social media handles? We are working on a advertise? Facebook. Um, we don't have it up. Uh, you can email me at pjlance, uh, that is Perrin, J, Lance, P-J-L, P-J, P-J Lance, excuse me, at chattanooga.gov um, uh, for more information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Hey, it's been great. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics. Or visit the website, chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnooga Network.